21st birthday, my friends all clubbed together and got me a joust. <laughs> Jousting lessons. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm back. Yay! Welcome to What A Way To Go, a podcast about unusual deaths near misses and bizarre stories. I am Sarah Louise Austin. Hooray! Uh, (laughs) You're hooray. I'm Claire Daly. I'm Eleanor Gamer. And yeah, thanks for joining us. I'm back this week. I had a nice holiday. Thanks for asking. (laughs) I didn't bring... Rude, presumptuous. Didn't bring you any chocolate. I actually don't care. I did actually buy some chocolate for work, just not this work. Sorry, rude. lad. That is quite rude. Or any clogs? No. No. Or, or windmills? Or tulips. Um, what are those waffles called? Stroop waffles. waffles. Yeah, they're the best. I had one and it was really soft. Oh. Yeah, but That's in a good. nice way. No, in a stale way. Oh, and it was yeah. a fresh pack. Oh. Anyway, that's... I'm not. I'm not going to write to Holland and complain. The soft stroop waffle is a hate crime in Holland, isn't it? <laughs> Probably. What Shocking. was the best thing about Holland? Cycling. I just I don't. I have a bike in my garden that's been there that I bought off my friend Emma, who I don't think listens to the podcast anymore. Um, this will be a test. This Emma. will be a test, Emma. <laughs> if you listen, um, and I've never ridden it because there's not a cycle path anywhere near us, and I would just tod off on my own. But we got we rented bikes and it was just so fun the cycle paths are amazing you don't have to worry about wearing a helmet because you're completely off the road you do kind of have right of way on a lot of the roundabouts as well and it was just so fucking cool that actually sounds lush yeah i love the idea of cycling far more than actually doing i would shit myself if i did it in london oh i just don't think i could do it in london it's not particularly fun the fun parts were being on your own designated path having lovely scenery around and not worrying about dying (laughs) I think cycling in London is all right if you're if you can do the route that is just cycle paths or mm. quite quiet lanes. Mm. But other than that, it's quite scary. I've never done it on my own, and I also have a bike in the garden that I've had. Well, it broke about three years ago. I've not fixed it yet. So mine's quite rusty, and mm. I've tried giving it away for free, and no one wants it, mm. and I just haven't taken it to the tip. Just leave it outside your house, and someone will take it. Someone will nick it. I will nick the tires. It's true, actually. I was tempted to do that. But yeah, I had a lovely, lovely holiday, thanks. But I'm pleased to be back. Lovely. Uh, I did enjoy last week's episode. Well, yeah, it, two weeks ago to the listeners now. Thank you for um, saying that you missed me. We did. And I'm glad Sarah has confirmed that she couldn't tell that I was so tired I was nearly dead on my feet. And no, not couldn't at all. string a sentence together. So oh, were you? I, I couldn't tell yeah. that either. That's my Friday night vibe. I just thought you were a bit <laughs> pissed, but... Well, I had, I'd had like a... I think I'd had two beers before I got to you. Oh, Okay. But I was like... Very tired. So tired. Yeah. But I'm not now. It's Monday. Yeah. yeah. Lively. It's Monday. Lively AF. I wasn't going to drink because I had like six intense days of drinking some beer. Lots of nice beer, but just like too much drinking. And my heart rate and Fitbit's gone right up. And then I was like, four o'clock today, and I was like, no, nah, fuck it, I'll just drink some Prosecco. Does drinking increase your heart rate? Ooh. I think it does in general, but it definitely does to me. I notice it a lot. I went up from like a 52 resting heart rate to 61. Do you never get like the... um? Like feel like the dread after drinking, where your heart is just racing. I thought that was just being tired. I no, think it's alcohol. alcohol. Oh god! Well, tin a lot tin. of sugar as well, isn't it? I suppose. Mm. <laughs> Some really good beer in Holland, though. Mm. Like mm. local blonde beers. Strong. So yeah, fucking strong. Yeah. I had two pints on our last night, and I was literally drunk. And Steve was like, "Are you drunk?" And I was like, "No, I've had two beers." And he's like, "Yeah, but they were both like eight percent." I was like, uh, "Oh, yeah. it's, it's like a whole bottle of wine." Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway, stop talking about Holland, Sarah. <laughs> Christ. Love Holland so much. Why don't you fucking live there? Oh, I'd like I would. To go cycling around Holland. You literally just asked a question and then answered it yourself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Full of it, aren't I? We should all move to Holland, actually. I think it's great. Although it's under the sea level mm. and could be a problem in the future. So. Yeah. Maybe not then. Just want to keep in we'll mind. We'll just all move to the Highlands. Yeah, that, that, I would do that, actually. Yeah, I think um, the Highlands would be fine if you knew, like, if you were there with friends, because you could be quite isolated. But if you know everyone else that's there, that's fine. Maybe that's where our commune can be. Yeah, we haven't spoken about the commune in a while. The Highlands, in the Highlands, mm. near Loch Lomond, maybe. Beautiful, Beautiful. Is that the Highlands, Loch Lomond? Mm. Is it? It's where Daily got engaged. Yeah, no, I know. I yeah, I know. <laughs> Next to an eagle, not an eagle. What was it? What was the bird? A massive raven. Yeah. 
an ominous raven that that squawked at us three times. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. (laughs) Lovely. Inauspicious. So, speaking of which... Let's tell some stories. Let's tell some stories. Alice is going to go first. I'm going first again. Um, Sorry, everyone who doesn't doesn't, doesn't care for me. (laughs) I've done one that I think everyone knows, but I just think it's quite a weird story. Um, And I think, I reckon you two will both know it, and I think probably most people that would listen to this might know it because it's it's just down there. Ali. Um, So it's the... Um, Somerton Man. Ringing any oh, bells? Tam- oh, Tamam should. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So you're probably going to know it, and I'm probably just repeating something. No, that it's good. It's really good times. and really creepy. But it's really weird. It's really good. If you listeners, if you haven't heard of this, you're going to enjoy it. I don't love this story because it does creep me out. It's creepy. Does it? It's yeah, very like, creepy. Just, as in, like, as in, like, it's a good story, but it still creeps me out even after yeah. I've heard it before. But like, it still creeps me out. Yeah. Okay. Well. I love it. Close your ears if you like. <laughs> no, no, it's in like, I like no, it so much, like it's it. just weird. You like it, yeah, yeah, it's fine. So, in Adelaide, in December 1948, on December the 1st, so everyone's getting quite Christmassy, although not really, because it's Australia, so people go on like the beach, don't they? Christmas mm. Day. Just get their tans. Madness. Um, the body of a man dressed in a brown suit was found um, on a beach in Adelaide. He was discovered by a man called Neil Day, who was a jockey, and he'd just been going for a lovely horse ride along the beach. Busman's holiday, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I suppose you've got to, like, practice. <laughs> you've got to keep on top of your craft. I feel like a busman's holiday... Keep on top holiday. of your horse. <laughs> I feel like it's a slightly different thing. Like, if you're a jockey, you probably get quite a lot of pleasure from <laughs> riding horses. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Do you know that Steve has this thing about people that ride horses? He just thinks they're, like, perverts. <laughs> <laughs> specifically women just like get off on it and I'm like no I don't no. I think it's I think it's a joke I know it's a joke but like even the other day we went past this like quite big horse farm in Holland I went to Holland I'm not telling you um, where have you been? <laughs> nowhere um, and I was like oh have you never ridden horses like that's for perfect <laughs> just rode off on his bike and I was like that's actually quite funny that's quite funny has he never ridden a horse? no have never. you ever ridden a horse? I've ridden a couple horses in my yeah. time I've ridden a horse or two I've been on a horse or two have you Claire? yeah I used to love it when I was a kid I did it all the were time were you a horsey kind yeah, of a kid? Horse, yeah I was a horsey kid oh uh, yeah a pervert and then my <laughs> Classic pervert, classic daily. And then for my um, 21st birthday, my friends all clubbed together and got me a joust. <laughs> Jousting lessons. Oh. That's amazing. Wow. Like on horseback with a lance and like a suit of armour. Wow. That's amazing. It was like the best present I've ever had. It Were you so great good. at it or terrible at it? I was very, very bad at jousting. Tell you what I was all right at, choreographed sword fighting. What? Okay, that's a fucking niche. It was but... like we went to this um like ye olde oh, yeah. style medieval castle. It was type. near Warwick Castle, medieval style. It's actually where they filmed A Night's Tale, Rest in Peace, Heath Ledger. Oh Heath. Um and I went and had a day and in the morning we learnt how to sword fight and in the afternoon we jousted. But my horse was very slow and it was like a very slow... Have Aww. I not talked about this before on the... Never. I feel like Never. I Never. Okay, yeah, it was like a very slow walk up to the opponent... And I basically just had to like, it's ba- I, my horse had basically stopped by the time I reached the opponent and I had to like just jab him by moving my arm forward because the horse was having absolutely none of it. Oh, oh no. Dear. That's amazing. Mm. It I was a great present. Yeah. Very, niche. very, very funny. I don't think anyone present. can top that in your life. It presents. was, yeah, it was. Anyway, really... fine. Horses. Jockey. Um, yeah. God, oh, that was just from the word jockey. Yeah. Sorry, Let's see how long it takes me to get through this. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so he found this man. Um, so he was lying with his back against a wall, staring at the sky. And there was nothing that was on him that could be used to identify him. Um, so he was dressed in a nice suit and reported to have, this is a detail in the article that I read, suspiciously clean shoes. How suspicious. Well, I don't know why that's that suspicious, but... Well, if his shoes are clean, yeah. If his shoes are clean, that means that he oh, hasn't walked he's there. Not walked there. Yeah. Or, I didn't even yeah, think he about was that. dressed after he was put down. That would be a terrible detective. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess he's just sat down and died. <laughs> Heart attack. <laughs> Simple as that. Here. Um, so all of the tags on his clothing had been removed. So nothing 
to identify him. Um, he also had um, an expensive cigarette tucked behind his ear, and that was a British make of a cigarette, not an Australian make. And he also had a half-smoked cigarette which lay between his cheek and his collar, so he must have been, like, with his cheek against his shoulder, shoulder yeah. I guess, which was the same brand, I think. And then he had another packet of the same cigarettes they found that in his pocket but um they'd been placed in the case of a cheaper cigarette brand i think he smoked himself to death How many <laughs> possibly a lot of cigarettes addict and the other items that they found on him included a book of matches and he had an unused train ticket to henley beach and a used bus ticket to glenelg actually no one in australia Presumably. <laughs> so, um, because they didn't know, like they couldn't tell who he was, there was nothing to identify him. He became known as the Summerton Man because it was Summerton Beach. I was going to say it was. So I don't know some of these details, and he hadn't. He wasn't like wet. He hadn't like washed up, right? I think in my head yeah. he washed up. But if he's got no cigarettes and yeah, I don't yeah. Think, no. There was nothing that he was just he happened and he was on the beach. And also, if he'd been in water for a long time, I guess that would have been like obvious yeah, things yeah, it on his been obvious body. As, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. He was just propped up, propped up. Yeah. So the night before the man was discovered, um, there were two groups of passers-by who saw a man that they thought looked like the man that was found, the Somerton man. And they said that they'd seen him sat in the same place that the Somerton man was found Mm -hmm. lying. Um, And all the witnesses said that they couldn't get a very good look at him, but they they thought it was the same man from what they could tell. So some passers-by saw him at around 7 o'clock and said that by between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, there wasn't any, they couldn't see him move. Um, But one one person thought that he was alive, but they just thought he was drunk, basically. Mm. So no one went to his aid. Yeah. Which is a bit shit. If you see someone, like, so drunk. Well, if you keep seeing that person sat there in the same position, having not moved, it's a bit suspicious. Yeah. If they're on their own, I think if there's someone else with them, you might think, oh, well, someone's helping them or whatever, but... Yeah. Mm. I'm not going to sit down and just have a lovely stare at the sky for seven hours. Unlikely. <laughs> Unless you're on drugs. I don't know. So four months after the Summerton man had been discovered having so at this point they'd only found the bits that they found on him and obviously nothing identifying no tags in his clothes um they found in his trousers um a scrap of paper that had the word tamam chewed on it and so from that the police were able to trace that paper to a poetry book called the rubaiyat which was written by omar kayam the police then eventually found the exact book that that piece of paper came from. Um, so it was, they found the book just discarded in the back seat of a car. Oh, I didn't know this either. And there was no explanation to how it got there. I don't think they, they must not have found the owner of the car or possibly they did and they didn't, the, the owner possibly didn't know why it was there, but there was no, they couldn't link that to anybody. Um, but on the back of, of the book, there was like a list so the picture is on the internet and I couldn't I was going to write it down but like it's it's not um it's you can't I couldn't like it's not words so I couldn't have really said it so I haven't done but it's basically like a list of words but not any words that anyone would know and it doesn't look like any language that you would be like oh okay I don't understand that but clearly that's it's like Arabic or it's whatever yeah you know. Russian whatever yeah. um, and it's la- the Latin alphabet that's our alphabet isn't it yeah, yeah. it's the Latin alphabet whoever's editing <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know that to be fair um, so yeah so they and there was I think probably about five or six words written like one one on top of the other mm. and then two had been crossed out two had crossed through them um so the police believed that was a code but no one's ever been able to crack that code so nobody knows what that means um the other thing that was on the back page of this book where the code was was the phone number of a woman who um so she it was discovered that she like lived and worked near where the Somerton man was found so when they kind of obviously went to when the police went to speak to this woman and like investigate this a bit more, they discovered that she had once owned a copy of the Rubaiyat that the 
I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, the poetry book, um, but not the same copy. Um, she had given it to a man years ago. The police were then able to track down the man that they had that had been given the book. He still owned it, um, but it was deemed that there was nothing unusual about it. It wasn't the same copy, obviously, that was found in the car. So there was this weird link, but nobody could come up with a reason as to why, like how that all fitted together. Um, another quite odd thing is that when they did an autopsy of the Somerton man, the doctor ruled that there was no evidence for what the cause of death was. They couldn't determine it. Just absolutely nothing. Nothing. So... The doctor deemed that he was in excellent health. Um, there was evidence of congestion and bleeding in several organs, which sounds quite major, but I'm sure a doctor knows what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so if they so. said that's not enough to say that this is what killed them. So I guess they could see maybe like this is what happened that would have stopped life, but how that, mm, what the how that came that about. Was. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if there's not obvious trauma or something. Yeah. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. Um, and apparently they could tell from the autopsy that he was athletic. They thought he might have been a dancer. They knew that he wasn't a labourer because he didn't have, like, anything in his hands or anything like that that would, like, he had quite soft hands. He didn't look like someone who, like, was working with his hands or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so the doctor concluded... Well, no, he didn't conclude, but he sort of said potentially it might have been a very dangerous poison that had led to his death that just was very mm. difficult to identify. Um or that leaves the system, like some poisons leave the system, don't they, quite quickly? Probably, I yeah. Think. He said, or it may also have been a natural death, but that, it, but he just didn't know why why that would have happened, like how that would have happened. And I feel like the combination of him being totally, like a total mystery, and then just a natural death, like, yes, okay, sometimes people do just die for mm. no reason, mm. but like for it also to be someone completely unidentifiable... And that that weird link to Um, the book and all that sort of thing feels like it's not just Mm. an accident. But then why would, I don't know, why would you do all that if you didn't want some sort of like maybe notoriety from it? Mm. I don't know. Um, But the doctor also said there was no way of knowing whether the man was suicidal. Um, So obviously they didn't know whether he poisoned, if it was poisoned, did he do that to himself or did somebody else do that to him? Um, so in the end, there's just never ever been a cause of death determined for the Somerton man. Um, the train station in Adelaide did pass over a suitcase to the police that the man had left in their coat room the day before he died. I don't know how they would have known it was his though, because they couldn't ever identify him. I guess unless the train station, I suppose they might have had a picture of him because on the internet there's a picture of him and it's like I guess because he'd literally just died you can he's recognisable you can see his face so possibly they could have done it that way Um, so in the suitcase there was a suit jacket a stenciling brush pants with sand in the cuff I think that's trousers Mm. to you and me Um, a screwdriver scissors thread pyjamas underwear a dressing gown shaving utensils, slippers, knife and a laundry bag. Um, And there was a label on some of the clothing in the name T. Keen. Um, And one of the one of the spellings of Keen had didn't have an E on the end, but the rest of them did have an E on the end. Um, But during the investigation, they couldn't like follow that lead up. There was nothing that with a keen, with an E or without an E, that could they could connect to the case in any way. It still, it still didn't help them work out who he was. No. Yeah, so nothing has ever... let. Like, there's no, like, they don't know how he died, they don't know why he died, they don't know who he was, they don't know why he was there, they don't know what the connection was to the book. Was it a murder? Was it a suicide? Was it a natural death? Did he have any family? Did he know anybody? No one's ever come forward. No one's ever claimed him. No one knows. So mad. That's my hay fever, punctuating that story. Mm. I do feel like it's potentially likely that he just sat down on the beach to smoke a cigarette and died. Yeah, but then... I would have thought they would know. I don't know. 
They wouldn't like there would have been something like did he have a heart attack or something like that or what did he have a maybe but then when did he die seventeen nineteen forty eight well yeah I, I just I feel like yes yeah and he didn't it's, have it's family the com- yeah but and... it's like the combination of not knowing yeah 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 of course but I feel like it's Occam's Razor the most logical thing is the thing the most obvious thing is the yeah. thing. But that makes it a less exciting story. Oh, of course it does. <laughs> but like, it's such a story that people like talk about. It's such a thing yeah. that people kind of obsess about. There's still people on Reddit that like try and find out the origin of his stuff, and it's like maybe he just just died. didn't have any just family. With no family who died and died on the beach. That was my stomach Ooh. rumbling. He doesn't agree with me. Clearly, I don't know bullshit. Why I've just, <laughs> I've just right. gendered your stomach into a male, but <laughs> Fine. I did and I have. So there we go. Nice one. Thank you very much, Els. That's good, Els. I didn't know some of that detail at all. And no, there is, you go. I find it spooky. It is very bizarre. Who knows? Like you say, I'm sure it's probably, in the end, a relatively logical explanation. Or possibly not. Who knows? So. Oh, yeah, squares. I have to caveat my story with two caveats. We love, we love a caveat. Please. A. It's a bit long. Sorry. I have tried to cut it down, but I think it's really interesting. And two... Is it a murder? It's technically a murder. Oh! Squares! <laughs> you were the stalwart of not having murders. But this is such a good story. I don't know. Should we allow it, else? I don't know. I feel like... I feel like I've been shamed before for bringing a half yeah. murder. Yeah. Yeah, All right. no, it's fair. It All better right. be fucking good. You, you have to rattle through it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mine's quite short. We'll judge you afterwards. Um, I think it's a really interesting story, and I think Els will like it because it's about tribes. Mm. My speciality. <laughs> You've done a good tribe story before. Yeah, it's one of my favourite um, stories. That's true, before. actually. That was great. Before. Fine. That Thanks. was a compliment. Yeah. You have to... <laughs> Swing me a few more of those. <laughs> Actually, while we're on the four, in case my friend Laura B is listening, um, she is studying me- medical anthropology, and she was like, "Oh, you know your story, the four. That's medical anthropology in practice. So it's kind of like how anthropology affects health." That's mm. really interesting. Yeah. Wow. So she get, she gave me she's dropped some knowledge on my ass. Great. Uh, thanks, Laura. Get her on the podcast, mate. Mm. With some interesting stories. Okay. So, tribes. I'm going to tell you about the Centralese tribe. <sighs> you do know, you both know this story, for definite. I, I'm excited. Okay, so the Centralese are also known as the Sentinelli and the North Sentinel Islanders. And <gasps> and yes, they... I love this story. Yes. And they Good shout, are... I've nearly done this before. Right. <laughs> uh, An indigenous people who inhabit North Sentinel Island in the Bay of Bengal in India. They are considered one of the world's last uncontacted peoples and they have been designated a particularly vulnerable tribal group and a scheduled tribe um, and they belong to the broader class of the Andamanese people. So I've got loads of fucking information on these guys because I just find it really fucking fascinating. Anyway, so they are hunter-gatherers. They likely use bows and arrows to hunt terrestrial wildlife and more rudimentary methods to catch local seafood, such as mud crabs and molluscan shells. Can't say that word. Fine, good. Um, Some of their practices have not evolved beyond those of the Stone Age. They are not known to engage in agriculture and it is unclear whether they have any knowledge of fire making, though investigations have shown that they have used fire previously. They reside in small temporary huts erected on four poles with slanted leaf-covered roofs. They recognise the value of metal, having scavenged it to create tools and weapons, and they have accepted aluminum cookware left by the National Geographic Society in 1974. I'll go on to that later. They have also developed canoes suitable for lagoon fishing at but they use long poles rather than paddles or oars to propel them. Um, both genders wear bark strings. The men always tuck daggers into their waist belts. They also wear some ornaments such as necklaces and headbands, but are essentially naked. The wearing of jawbones of deceased relatives has been reported previously. Hmm. Which, I mean, yeah, why not? It's a good necklace. Um, Statement. Mm. Yeah, really big jewellery piece. Uh, no rigorous census has been conducted and the population has been variously estimated to be as low as 15 or as high as 500. Most estimates lie between 50 and 200. 
handbook released in 2016 by the Anthropological Survey Survey of India on vulnerable tribe groups estimates the population between 100 and 150. But there have been some censuses done. So in 1971, the estimated population was fi- around 82. In 1981, the census had it at 100. And in 1986, an expedition recorded the highest count of 98. Um, And then in 2001, the census of India officially recorded 21 men and 18 women. Um, But the survey was conducted from a distance and may not have been accurate. 2004 post-tsunami expeditions recorded counts of 32 and 13 individuals in 2004 and 2005, respectively. Um, And during a 2014 circumnavigation, researchers recorded six females, seven males, all apparently under 40 years old and three children younger than four. So no one knows what's going on, really. Um, they have been widely described as a Stone Age tribe, with some reports claiming they have lived in isolation for over 60,000 years, wow. which is mad. That is so mind-blowing to me. Yeah, so as I said, they're, they're considered one of the world's last uncontacted peoples. Um, along with the Great Andamanese, the Jarawas, the Ong and the Shopmen, which are other tribes in the local area... Um, they are one of the six native and often reclusive piece of people of the Adaman and Nicobar Islands. Unlike the others, the Centralese appear to have consistently refused any interaction with the outside world. They are hostile to outsiders and have killed people who approached or landed on their island. So just a little bit more detail on um, the interactions with them. So the first recorded sighting of them was in 1771 and an East India Company hydrographic survey vessel, the Diligent, observed a multitude of lights upon the shore in the location of where they're they're based, which is the island's first recorded mention, but the crew didn't investigate. The first recorded contact wasn't until 1867, so nearly just under 100 years later, and there was a monsoon in the summer of 1867. Uh, An Indian merchant vessel foundered on the reef of the North Sentinel. All the passengers and crew reached the beach, beach safely, but as they proceeded for their breakfast on the third day, they were subject to a sudden assault by a group of naked, short-haired, red-painted islanders with arrows that were probably iron-tipped. The captain who fled in the ship's boat was found days later by a brig and the Royal Navy sent a rescue party to the island. Upon arrival, the party discovered that survivors had managed to repel the attackers with sticks and stones and that they had not reappeared. And then in 1956, the government of India declared North Sentinel Island a tribal reserve and prohibited travel within three miles of it. Photography is prohibited and a constant armed patrol prevents intrusions by outsiders, which I think is quite like progressive do you not think? What, like, to not allow? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In those days, in yeah, when they would have been going yeah. ham on every other Ev- territory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like, let's find everyone, let's do everything and blah, blah, blah. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, there was a, like, concerted effort to make contact um, between 1967 and 1991 um, with a couple of different groups led by a guy called T.N. Pandit, who was an anthropo- anthropologist anthropologist working for the anthropological survey of india and he wanted to befriend them um so through binoculars they saw several clusters of the centralese along the coastline but they retreated into the forest as the team advanced the team followed their footprints and after about a kilometer they found a group of 18 lean-to huts made from grass and leaves that did show signs of recent occupation um, there was still burning fires um, and they also discovered raw honey, skeletal remains of pigs, wild fruits um, and some tools, a multi-pronged wooden spear, bows, arrows and cane baskets. Um, but they couldn't they couldn't establish any contact, but they left some gifts, which is nice. Mm. I, I like it. Unless they're full of bacteria that true (laughs) that the tribes can't process this is true very true Mm. um the government was aware so the indian government was aware that leaving the centralese and the local area completely isolated and ceasing to claim any control would lead to rampant illegal exploitation of the natural resources so it and it would probably contribute to the centralese's extinction so in 1970 an official surveying party landed at an isolated spot on the island and erected a stone tablet atop a disused native hearth that declared the island part of India, which again, I think is pretty good. 
good mm. for them. But this guy, Pandit, probably wasn't a very nice guy, even though he had good intentions. It, so during the 1970s and 1980s, he undertook several visits, visits to the island, sometimes as an expert advisor in tour parties, including dignitaries who wished to encounter an Aboriginal tribe. Gross. Probably got paid a lot of money, probably exploited his attraction to the tribe or whatever. So, yeah, probably not a great guy. Um, so in 1981, he regularly led official expeditions for the purpose of establishing friendly contact. Many of these got a friendly reception with hordes of gifts left for them, but some ended in violent encounters, which were mostly suppressed by the government. Some of the expeditions were entirely documented on film. Um, so sometimes the Centralese waved and sometimes they turned their backs and assumed a defecating posture which everyone took as a sign of not being welcome, of course, because what else would it mean? Um, uh, on some occasions, they rushed out of the jungle to take the gifts, but then attack the party with arrows. Other obscene gestures in response to contact parties, such as swaying of penises, have been noted. Um, and on some visits, Pandit brought the local other tribe, the Ange, to the island to try and communicate with the Centralese, but the attempts were usually futile, and um, it often angered them. So they tried not to. So interfering. Yeah. I would yeah. Say. Fuck off. Leave yeah. me alone. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, the National Geographic did try and contact them too. So this is in 1974. A National Geographic film crew went to the island with a team of anthropologists, including our mate Pandit, accompanied by armed police, to film a documentary called Man in Search of Man. They planned to spread the operation of gift giving over the course of three days in an attempt to establish friendly contact. When the motorboat broke through the barrier reefs, the locals emerged from the jungle and shot at them. The crew landed at a safe point on the coast and left gifts in the sand, including a miniature plastic car, some some coconuts, a live pig, a doll, and cookware. As I mentioned, they kept that. Mm. A live pig? Yeah. Just, I don't know how you would keep that. Not moving. Tie it down, I guess. Don't really want to think about it, actually. Um... They, the Centralese followed up by launching another volley of arrows, one of which struck the documentary director in his thigh. The man who wounded the director withdrew to the shade of a tree and laughed proudly while others speared and buried the pig and the doll. They left afterward, taking the coconuts and the cookware. So they didn't want the pig? They didn't want the pig or the doll. Don't know what happened to the car, though. Um, this expedition also led to the first photograph of the Centralese, published by um, Raguba Sin in National Geographic magazine, where they were presented as people for whom arrows speak louder than words. Um, in 1991, the first instances of peaceful contact were recorded in the course of two routine expeditions by an Indian anthropological team consisting of various representatives of the diverse government's departments. Um, in early January, the Centralese approached the party without weaponry for the first time. They collected coconuts that were offered to them, but retreated to the shore as the team gestured for them to come closer. Um, the team returned to their ship, but then returned to the island in the afternoon to find at least two dozen Centralese on the shoreline, one of whom pointed a boy and arrow at the... P- boy? A bow. <laughs> hey. A bow and arrow at the party. Um, once a woman pushed the arrow down, the man buried his weapons in the beach and the Centralese approached quite close to the dinghies for the first time. Um, and they gave them more coconuts, basically. There's a second expedition. Pandit was part of it, our mate Pandit. Um, this is in the late February time. The Centralese again appeared about weapons, jumped on the dinghies and took coconut sacks. They were also curious about a rifle hidden in the boat because they think they thought it was a source of iron, which is obviously what they care about. Sorry, um, they were... They, they were... like the look of the rifle, basically, in the oh, boat, because okay. they like metal oh, for okay. forging right, tools. Yeah. Um, so a kind of discovery that they think, because of the friendly exchanges that happened in this time, they think that the Centralese used to be visited by other tribes and could have been friendly with the other tribes from the Andalese mm. area, but not so anymore. So Also, like, if you've had no contact with the world and you don't really know like everything could be perceived as a threat couldn't it it's not that they're not not like it's not about being nice or nasty it's just that like S- survival yeah, being exactly. nice self-preservation yeah, being, being nice is a outcome of civilization isn't it and if they've never been exposed to civilization then but also yeah. if they have been around for sixty thousand years it's literally like people from the stone age yeah and it is literally fight or flight mm. because you can't, there's nothing else you can do. You just have to survive in mm. that situation, especially if you've got like 
families and babies to look after. Yeah. Just look after your own. The, the series of contact expeditions continued until around 1984, with some of them even attempted to plant coconut trees on the island, but the programmes were then abandoned for nearly nine years. The Indian government maintained a policy of no deliberate contact, intervening only in cases of natural calamities that might pose an existential threat or to thwart poachers. A likely reason for the termination of these missions was that the Centrelese did not let most of the post-pandic contact teams get near them. Teams usually waited until the armed Centrelese retreated, then left gifts on the beach or set them adrift towards the shore. The government was also quite concerned about the possibility of harm to the Centrelese by an influx of outsiders, a result of them projecting a relatively friendly image. Photos of the 1991 expedition were removed from public display and use of them was restricted by the government which is, again, I think quite progressive, but maybe that's just me, not knowing much about tribes. Um, I don't know that much about tribes. Um, The next expedition occurred in 2003 when a canoe built by the local tribe, the Ongiers, was gifted to the visitors. There were further expeditions, some of them were just aerial, to evaluate the effects of the 2004 Indian tsunami, Mm. um, which caused massive tectonic changes to the island. Which was it was basically enlarged by a merger with nearby smaller islands, and the seafloor was raised by about 1.5 meters, exposing the surrounding coral reefs to air and destroying the shallow, the shallow lagoons, which is where the Centrelese were fishing. Um, the expeditions counted a total of 32 Centrelese scattered over three places, but did not find any bodies. Um, the Centrelese responded to these aerial expeditions with hostile gestures, which m- led many to conclude that the community was mostly unaffected and had survived the calamity. Um, hostile gestures. Penises. Penises. Waving. And waving bums. I love that. Like, no matter... The hu- be- human beings are human beings, and like the most yeah. fundamental, you can have people that have been isolated for 60,000 years, they're going to show you their arse. Yeah, pretend to shit in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst thing that you can the do. The universal language. Exactly. Also, um, shitting is um, territorial, isn't it? Like, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. In 2014, an aerial expedition followed by a circumnavigation investigated the effects of a forest fire in the area. Important data was gathered and the expedition recorded that the fire did not seem to have affected the populace. They exhibited a balance of ages and sexes with a number of young children. Friendly hand gestures were noted, but the visitors did not go very close to the island. Um, The 2014 expedition also recorded that the Centrelese had adapted to the changes of their fishing grounds and they were using their canoes to travel up to half a kilometre from the shore, which is different, obviously, before the tsunami. What did their canoes look like? Like canoes? Wood, yeah, made out of wood. I think it's quite interesting how that is like, so these are people that haven't um, obviously any contact with anyone else. Like, it's, Come up with the same thing in it's isolation. It's really interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah how yeah. different, and obviously that would happen across the world until things have become more globalised or whatever. Mm. And I suppose there's, like that is just science. There's certain things that work better, but yeah, it's just the right shape for yeah. a fun, a, like a, a fundamental boat. Yeah, I totally agree. Things like that are so fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like tools, kind of spoons or knives. Mm. Like no matter where people were, they were kind of making the same, same thing. thing. Spears are all kind of the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Because the kind of shape and size and scale of it reflects like the human body scale and then yeah, also like yeah. what is available. Yeah. yeah. Really, really, I totally agree. Really fascinating. And like bread, like every mm. like so many different countries and cultures or whatever, they have their yeah, own version yeah, totally. of it. And I also think, who was the first person or first people to like put certain ingredients together and realise? Or like who first decided that an egg was better cooked because if it wasn't cooked it would make you ill yeah, or whatever? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think about this all the time mm. like with eggs because they're so they're versatile little chaps. Oh, like, yeah. Who did all of this with the eggs? It's probably like pretty <laughs> much just eggs and bread that are eaten like globally, yeah. right? Like in terms of I, I think, don't know things like cheeses. People make cheeses. No, cheese oh, no. is very European. I think oh, if you think okay. about like not oh, true. really yeah, in Asia. Yeah, 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 true. Yeah. Mad. Who were the cheese scientists? No, egg scientists. Who left cow liquid out? long enough for it to pasteurise and then turn into cheese. Well, I guess that's what it was, actually, wasn't it? It just it was just left out. It was out, by mistake, and, and then someone was like, ooh, dipped a little finger in. Eggs. Uh, I do think of that a lot. Like Eggs who... needed to have been cooked. There needed to be a process there. But I then don't know. scrambled, poached, meringue. 
I mean, Jesus, meringue is another level. I mean, you need who to... Who realised you could do that? But who realised you could do it to chickpea water to create vegan meringue? I Aquafaba. Mean. What we need is um, some food historians. I bet that's a job. Uh, I'd it is love a job. that it's job. A job. If you've ever watched... Um, great british bake-off they have food historians mm, on there sometimes because they they'll do, talk about they? like the history of a particular recipe that they're doing but it would be good to know about like not just like who came up with the trifle in 18 whatever or it was probably longer ago than that yeah but what was the first but like who reported... came out of bread yeah, yeah exactly or like why did it kind of come up why was it like why was it in different cultures or like different like if you think about what we do in britain it's very like farmhouse style loaf but then you get flatbreads in the mm, middle east and yeah that's there was a really good program um on the BBC that had Sue Perkins. Is it Sue Perkins? Great British Bake Off. It's, it's not that. Before that. And it was Sue Perkins and Giles Corrent. I don't uh, like Giles yeah, Corrent. I know. What, what was the melon? <laughs> if I could remember what the Melon Sue program was called, I was gonna joke and say that, but I can't remember what it was. Must light, it lunch? Light, light lunch, lunch or something yeah. like that. I used to fucking love that program. Yeah. Bring it back, lads. It's great. Melon Sue. But yeah, Giles Corrin's a cunt. Um hundred yeah, percent. For any American listeners, he's just a very don't Google him. Don't prickish. Don't give him the oxygen. Prickish journalist who is more privileged than anyone would care to care about. Um, and that was all about like the history of food and focusing on certain de- decades and eras. And yeah, I found that quite that. interesting. This was like five years, five ten years ago maybe. Anyway, back Canoes. to tribes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Moving on to the deaths, the murders. Oh yeah, I was wondering where this was. Going, okay. you know? Do you know? You know? Oh, yeah. I don't know. This this is all new to me. News is it? <laughs> this oh, is um, interesting. You'll you'll feel very vindicated by the end of this. This wasn't lo- that long ago. Six months ago. I've got so I've got two. Okay. Two two things. One of them was last year. Okay. But first, the first one was two thousand and six. Okay. So on the twenty seventh of January two thousand and six, Indian fisherman Sundaraj and Pandit Tawari, not the same Pandit. Um, first name, not last name, um, had been attempted to illegally harvest crabs off of the North Sentinel Island and they drifted towards it after their boat's makeshift anchor failed during the night. They did not respond to warning calls from the passing fishermen, who obviously knew where they were and how dangerous it was, and their boat drifted into the shallows near the island where a group of Sentinelese warriors attacked the boat and killed the fishermen with axes. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. According to one report, the bodies were later put on a bam- on bamboo stakes, facing out to sea like scarecrows. Oh wow! Hey, nothing if not effective. Three days later, an Indian Coast Guard helicopter dispatched for the purpose found the buried bodies. When the helicopter tried to retrieve them, it was attacked by Sentinelese armed with spears and arrows, and the mission was soon abandoned. Uh, there were contrasting views in the local community as to whether the Sentinelese ought to be prosecuted for the murder. Um, one of the anthropologists hypothesizes that the aggressive response might have been caused by the sudden withdrawal of those gift-carrying expeditions I mentioned before, which was not influenced or informed by any acts of the Centrelees. He also notes that whilst the images of the hostile Centrelees captured by the helicopter um, images were heavily propagated in the media, the images of them burying the dead were never released. This selective display led to an effective negation of the friendly images that were circulated in the aftermath of the 1991 con attacked um which obviously you can't see anymore because they're not on public display anymore and then they were restored by the 1975 national geographic narrative so to be fair like if you're the centralese and for a regular period of like maybe 10 to 20 years you were having regular friendly contact with people for it then to be taken away mm-hmm. and then you not to realize what was going on like fair enough also can you prosecute under the laws of a country that they to don't, a group of yeah. people that are not living by the rules yeah. of that country no you, can't, you shouldn't be able to that you shouldn't you shouldn't because it's different. Like yeah. jurisdiction is different in different states in America for fuck's sake and yeah. like US to UK is different. Like you couldn't prosecute you couldn't try a tribe of people that have never experienced law enforcement or trials or judges. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have their own on island version of law, do you think? I well right from wrong. Yeah, I guess, I guess so, because I, I suppose it is like that thing, like we were saying, it's like these uh, different communities pop up all over the world and people Eventually, start to yeah. bring in their own laws and whatever. So I'm sure they will inevitably have their own way of governing their own community, but they don't have a, a sense of what is being used to govern 
Everybody India else. as yeah. a country or whatever, because that's not... Yeah, the principle of that is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but why this is really relevant and why Daly knows about it and why it's a murder, even though obviously those fishermen were murdered too. So in November last year, 2018, the US-based Christian missionary organisation All Nations trained and sent John Allen Chow, a 26-year-old American, to make contact with and live among the Centralese in the hope of converting them to Christianity. That feels very parochial, doesn't it? Like, yeah. missionaries. It's rank. Um, Chow did not seek the necessary permits required to visit the island and travelled illegally um, by bribing local fishermen. He expressed a clear desire to convert the tribe and awareness, and he was aware of the risk of death he faced um, and the illegality of his visits. He wrote in his journal, Lord, is this island Satan's last stronghold when none have heard or even had the chance to hear your name? Jesus. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand. I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or God if I get or at God if I get killed. Don't retrieve my body. Twenty eighteen. Just just to remind us. Yeah, that sounds like that, something that you would that hear. That is something from... that someone wrote in twenty eighteen. Yeah, it's mad. Um so on the fifteenth of November he attempted his first visit in a fishing boat which took him about five hundred to seven hundred meters from shore. The fisherman warned Chow not to go further, but he canoed toward the shore with a waterproof Bible. As he approached no. <laughs> I'm imagining like, had that laminated. Yeah. You know those like kids' bath time books that are sort of yeah. like big foam pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was, basically. Huge with a big cross print. on the front. <laughs> big picture of Jesus um, as he approached he attempted to communicate with the islanders and to offer gifts but he retreated after facing hostile responses probably sure a bum or a willy um, and then on another visit he recorded that the islanders reacted to him with a mixture of amusement bewilderment and hostility he attempted to sing worship songs to them oh, and spoke to them in uh, Zos Zosa, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but that's a local native um, click tongue language oh, okay. um, in in that area. Um, but they fell silent afterwards, which doesn't indicate whether they knew what it was or didn't know what it was. It just meant that they didn't like it. Um, other attempts to communicate ended with them bursting into laughter. Um, they apparently communicated with lots of high-pitched sounds and gestures and then eventually when he tried to hand over fish and gifts, a boy shot a metal-headed arrow that pierced the Bible Chow was holding in front of his chest and he retreated again. On his final visit on 17th of November, he instructed the fisherman to leave without him. The fisherman later saw the islanders dragging Chow's body and the next day they saw his body on the shore. Oh no. Police subsequently arrested seven fishermen for assisting Chow to get close to the restricted island. His death was treated as a murder, but there's been no suggestion that the Centrelease can be charged and the US government has confirmed that it will not ask the Indian government to press charges against the tribe. Indian officials made several attempts to recover Chow's body, but eventually abandoned those efforts. Um, an anthropologist involved in the case told The Guardian that the risk of dangerous clash between investigators and the islands was too great to justify mm. any further attempts. I just think that I know that we've spoken about the poacher thing and about how people think... Some people on the internet say that poachers deserve what they get for stuff that they do. And I'm not saying it's the same thing for this, but I do just think it's such an unbelievable amount of arrogance mm. to try and go somewhere. I mean, it's it's not new. Like, Yeah, it's not white new. White people have been doing it for fucking years. Yeah. But like to go over there and think, I know better. And I do have this kind of thing about a lot of things that still happen these days where someone thinks they know better and they mm. will impose their opinion yeah, their yeah. beliefs whatever but as well, like, he, he sounds like, so how old was he sorry roughly 26. 26 okay old enough to know better but also he sounds like he should have been somewhat protected like there should have been like it's not just him like a random 26 year old on his own with no structure around him just deciding to go and do this like mm. he has been supported by his church he's been supported by travel mm. agents to arrange this he's been supported at every step of the way yeah. mm. like yes he's a bit of a dickhead he sounds like he's just a full believer blind yeah, yeah. yeah. for the higher, higher yeah so it's all of the support structures around him that are also accountable like yeah. he has been allowed to go and do this yeah and yeah. it's fucked up 
yeah, I don't think it's necessarily his thinking the whole thing through in terms of whether he can process that or not. It's probably more about him just having that. I mean, you see it all the time. We're dealing with it in this country at the moment. Like people that don't think about the consequences because possibly they never had to deal with it or just thinking, oh, it will be fine. Mm. And not thinking that, not seeing the world through anyone else's lens, which is arrogance or ignorance it's, like it's, it's both probably yeah. it's an ignorance of not thinking about it from anyone else's point of view and it's an arrogance of thinking that it's not going to have an impact on you or anybody else mm. or an arrogance that you th- that you know better than anybody else or you're the person like the arrogance he must have had to a certain degree or that he it was instilled upon him that he was the person to introduce yeah. christianity yeah, to yeah. a tribe that had been because everyone knocking else, around yeah. everybody else had failed but he and maybe maybe that is what happened. Maybe he, he did have a conversation with God or one of his elders said that he had a conversation with God. I'm not sure. Religion works in interesting ways. But the arrogance of that, just fucking let them get on with it, lads. Yeah. They're absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. They're fine as they are. I think that's the thing. It's like, he obviously he didn't deserve to die. No, Nobody no, deserves no, no. to die. And he obviously went there again in the view of his own thinking in the world that he exists in. Yeah. But But then yeah, something like, oh, it was good natured, but like, was it good natured? Because you think there's something wrong with what they're doing if you think that they need to change. That's the thing, Mate, is that, that is people are religion. thinking that you're that is <laughs> that's, that's like how driving, religion spreads. That's the isn't driving it? force of all conversion yeah. in religion. That's you're like, getting it wrong and I know the right way. So yeah. actually I'm gonna help you by telling you the right way. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's it. It yeah. doesn't come from a place well, sometimes it comes from a place of like you're wrong and need to learn but most of it comes from i think you need help yeah and this is how i think i help you by yeah but it is you're wrong and you need to learn because mm. it's like your way of life is wrong mm. and i need to teach you the right way rather than being like your way of life is right to you because of the world that you exist in mm. and my way of life is right to me even though possibly that like just belligerent dogma in terms of like literally going to a country that you know nothing about or an island that you know nothing about and being like I'm just gonna spread the word yeah you you are and I'll probably get you all to believe in God before I go Mm -hmm. but that is how religion was spread in the first place isn't Mm -hmm. it yeah you need to be saved and I'll save you we're all sinners anyway there you go my first technical murder sorry Oz it's all right I mean I'm I'm all for it (laughs) More murders. Let's turn this into a murder podcast. Absolutely not. Shall I go? Why not? Mm. It is your turn. I've got a slightly weird one. It's not that weird. Okay. It's like how I know about it is maybe a little bit unusual. <laughs> okay. Also, I don't know how long this is going to tell me to take, but... Did you do it? going to take me to tell. <laughs> I, it's, um, I, kill, <laughs> I killed a man. Is it your murder? <laughs> I killed a man. No, I did not. I'm going to tell you about the death of Carissa Sampsell. No. Nope. So, Carissa died in her home village of Brewster, Ohio, on the 18th of May, 2013. She was 35 years old. She had two children, Adrian and Sydney, who she'd raised since she was a teenager. She had her first when she was 15. Mm. Wow. This is a small, small village in Ohio. And how she died was she'd been, she was a registered nurse and she'd been getting ready to go to a midnight shift at nearby Wadsworth, which is about an hour away from Brewster. And she was taking out a couple of garbage bags, taking out the trash to take next to their stone lined fire pit when a discarded aerosol can blew up and she burned to death. What? Is this ringing any bells for you, I know Squares? similar stories, but not this story. So I kind of wonder if you're going to know this for the same reason I know this. So Carissa's death, while incredibly sad, in and of itself is not that unusual. It was a total freak accident, just really sad. But... It was exactly the same way that her grandfather had died. Oh, no, I didn't know this. So her grandfather, 20 years prior, had been doing exactly the same thing, taking trash out and an aerosol can had blown up and he'd burned to death. Oh, my goodness. Which is... Horrific. Horrific. 
And the reason I know about this, this is when I'm really looking at squares because I know our musical tastes sometime ov- sometimes oh. overlap. No, I'm not sure where you're going. This was all written about and sung about in a song by the American folk artist Sun Kill Moon. Oh, no. I don't know this. Do you know Sun Kill Moon? (laughs) Okay. Really, really gorgeous folk rock band um, fronted by Mark Kozilek, Kozilek, who is also in Red House Painters, like really, really beautiful contemporary folk um, and basically, Carissa was his cousin, and mm. the her grandfather, who also died in the same way, was his uncle. Wow. Um, so the song, which is literally one of my favourite songs in the entire universe, you must listen to it, Carissa by Sunkill Moon, absolutely gorgeous. Um, the song on the on the album on the album Benji details how singer Mark Kozalek heard about his cousin Carissa's death and went back to his hometown for the funeral. The last time he'd seen Carissa was at her grandfather's funeral oh for the same fucking thing. That That's is crazy, mad. isn't it? So it's just you know you hear about these sort of random freak accidents and yeah. you read the stats of like a number of people killed by random household objects, mm. but to have it happen. The same in the same family. family and I only know about this through the song because I remember listening to the song being like fucking hell imagine that and then I looked into it and like all of the details are there well um how did it blow up then was there like a so the the exact kind of sequence isn't clear but what I think maybe it was was that so there was a fire pit that maybe was still cooling and whether she put the bags that she was carrying and put them on it and then it exploded or another, a previous trash bag had been left there and there was an aerosol in it and then that had exploded. So in the song, some of the lyrics from Carissa, Mm. really, you've got to listen to it, it's so beautiful, um, was like, so Mark is kind of reflecting on what might have happened and the lyrics are, were you doing someone else's chores for them? Were you just killing time, finding things to do all by your lonesome? Was it even you who mistakenly put flammables in the trash? Was it your kids just being kids? If so, the guilt they will carry around forever. So there's kind of like this total unknown about these these completely bizarre and unpredictable accidents. And basically the whole song is about him... So he's moved to like San Francisco to have his music career, and the whole song is about him waking up to loads of missed calls from like he calls it um three three zero area codes. So it's like you know that it's loads of people in your hometown calling you, mm. and then he's like he finally gets through to his mum, and she's like it's happened again. You you oh wouldn't believe God. what's happened, and like yeah, Carissa was Carissa knew that that was how her grandfather had gone and everything. So that's that is more or less the story. I've always thought it was like absolutely staggering that that kind of thing could happen. I bet there are examples out there of, of things just as random that are kind of repeating themselves mm. um, but yeah I mean that's about it I could tell you about Sun Kill Moon he's very good well they are very good but him in particular is um, are they still knocking around yeah I think so yeah um, yeah 2002 to present oh wow <laughs> but yeah that's it I didn't think it was going to be very quick but I was like I've always thought about that that death I and that story. Really fascinating, yeah. isn't it? You know? I'd like that story, regardless of its length. You that will really like the song, Sarah Austin. I will listen to it, Claire Daly. Trust me. Claire, no middle name, Daly. Short but sweet. But mad, isn't it? Yeah, mad. yeah. That, that is, is mad. That is bizarre. So, let's move on to Girl Crushes, which is the section of the podcast where we talk about women or people that identify as women that are impressing us, you know, wearing something nice, got good lipstick, got good ethos, doing anything of any note that we like and rate this week. Elena Gamer, hit us. Um, yeah, mine's quite straightforward. Also, it's two. Double R. Oh. Double R. Um, Greedy. Uh, eh? Quite greedy of you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fine. So what? <laughs> She's a woman. She can do whatever she wants. Yeah, it's true. More <laughs> power to you, babe. Um, I went to see Booksmart last <gasps> weekend. Oh, how is it? I really want to see it. Very, very funny. Go and see it. It's mm. really good. It's okay. super funny. So, yeah, the two leads in it are Caitlin Dever and Beanie Fields- Feldstein. Feldstein. One of those, yeah. Beanie Feldstein. Um, They're just very funny. It's really good. That's kind of all I can say about it, but it's... A really good film. Chuckled throughout. 
Oh, very nice. Did you see it in the cinema? Yeah, yeah. I saw it at the cinema. It was good. Oh, very nice. Very Something good. about jumpsuits. They have good jumpsuits in it? I feel like people were talking about the um, jumpsuits. They wear matching jumpsuits in it for a bit. Okay. I wouldn't say there's anything hugely remarkable about the jumpsuits other than that. I don't know. Yeah. Jumpsuit Twitter was having a field day. I mean, Els is, let's be honest, queen of the jumpsuit. Mm. So... She's Thanks. probably quite, you know. Yeah, yeah, true. yeah, yeah. If you don't think Dagging it, on if them. you think ain't shit, then I don't think it's shit. <laughs> Fine. Fine. I nearly wore a jumpsuit this evening, but I put a dress on. That's my day. That's literally my day. That's the biggest decision <laughs> I had to make today. <laughs> Good chat. Thanks for that. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> um, nice. Squares, who's yours? Mine is Kristen Schaal. Ah. Who you all probably know because she was in Flight of the Concords. She was also in Last Man on Earth, mm-hmm. I think it was, which yeah. is a bit too um, awkward for me to The enjoy. premise was great, but it didn't last more than an episode and a half. Yeah. But the reason why she's my girl crush is because she is the voice of Louise in Bob's Burgers. I've just started watching it. Oh, my God. Like, yesterday I started watching Bob's Burgers. Oh, my God. It's really good, isn't it? Mate. Like, I always knew it was good, but I've just given it this... Because I finished watching something else. And oh, I was like, oh I it's Bob's so Burgers. good. And because we've got Sky, we were watching it, like, obsessively on Comedy Central, and they took it off for fucking ages. And then we had, like, randomly... a mar- Not a marathon, but it was, like, four episodes back-to-back yesterday that we watched... And Louise is my fucking spirit animal. That's really good. She yeah. is like an angry little shrew, <laughs> but quite, you know, forthright. And I just think she's me. And I think Kirsten Schaal plays her, Kristen Schaal, plays her so brilliantly. And she's such a brilliant character. But anyway, Kristen Schaal is my favourite and Louise is my favourite cartoon character. Maybe topped by Roger from American Dad. But other than that. You love Roger. I do love Roger. I think he's my spirit animal, actually. Um, but yeah, Kristen Shaw is great for many reasons, but top of the list is Louise from Bob's Burgers. Good one. Nice. Good one. Daily. I just, I want Bim Adewimley again, but I can't have her. That's I love Bim on Twitter. third time you've, you've Yeah, probably. She's just the fucking best person in the universe. I, I am just going to read like this lovely response. Like I just want to be more her. Like more. Sorry, she's actually not my girl crush. I'm saying oh, another okay. one, but... She she gave this really nice response, which I want to start using in my life. So, in a positive response to seeing two other women on Twitter finally meet after having loads of like online discourse and being pals finally meeting, <laughs> just reply, which I'm just going to start saying is, my cockles are warmed, my skin is clear, and my crops harvested. <laughs> like I just want to be more bim. Anyway, so that's she's not even my thing. Uh, my girl crush is. Now, she was called Charlotte Curtis, but she's changed her surname recently. But she's the founder of Blackheart Creatives. I don't ah, know. Do you follow yeah. her? Or? Don't follow her, but I know of them. Yeah, so she they do like um really nice jewellery, basically. And it's all kind of um, laser cut plastics, really mm. kind of creative, really interesting. Um, A little bit like a... I don't know if she would like this comparison, but a little bit like Tati Divine. Mm. I think anyone like, would like that comparison, wouldn't they? Tati Divine's quite I don't big. know. But, yeah, but aren't they sometimes design stealers? I don't know. This is not oh. not confirmed. I feel like sometimes Libel. they make designs of people. Oh, anyway. that's shit. Tatty. So Black Heart Creatives is her company. Um, but her, so her, her twi- so as I said, she used to be Charlotte Curtis, but she's, I think she's um, separated from her partner and has got a different surname now that I can't find. And her Twitter handle is Charlotte BHC and a Femme Fatigue. Um, and I think she's a really great follow on Twitter. She's um, a kind of, she's, she doesn't pull any punches she's she tweets a lot and in quite a funnily aggressive manner i find i really enjoy her tweeting um her curation of retweets never fails to satisfy me but there was one the 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 tweet that i wanted to find that i couldn't find just now was about how she was speaking to someone um, in some circumstance and she was like oh I fell in love with this woman today because she was talking to me about how she went to a yoga class but she can't go back because she kept farting I saw this <laughs> but so she was like we weren't, oh, even, do- we weren't even doing yoga we were just getting the, the mats out yeah. <laughs> so that really that. tickled me I but it was Charlotte, Charlotte Curtis who mm. had um, retweeted it Originally, so uh, a female business, a female small business owner, nice mm. smashing it up in Hemel Hempstead. Um, yeah, Charlotte BHC, nice, fair bloody play, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it. Either way, good girl crushes, everyone. Yeah. Well done. 
and good work thanks listeners for listening um if you got this far text us a picture of a smiley yeah. face emoji if you've got one of our numbers text us a smiley face Have no we... something more specific the coffin the coffin <laughs> emoji nice um and Perhaps. otherwise we're on socials at what away pod we're on email what away pod at gmail.com we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Well, that's how they're listening to us right now, probably. Mm, probably. probably. <laughs> Unless you get something, getting someone to like play it and then record it <laughs> yeah. and then send it to you as an MP3. Taping it off the radio. Put it on a mini disc. Yeah. Pop oh, it over. The best. Discman. Discman. You would, wouldn't you? You just absolutely it's a would. a bit long, but yeah. If you just need to get your What A Way To Go fix, you mm-hmm. would just do anything you could, wouldn't you? To yeah. get it in your veins, to yeah. get it in your earlobes. Anyway, on that note, dear listeners, we will see you in a couple of weeks. See you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.